In the Gospel according to John, we read in chapter 3 of a man of the Pharisees by the name of Nicodemus. And if you read that story in those first 15 verses of John 3, it's a very interesting and a very compelling story as it unfolds there. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a man that came to Jesus, not in the clear light of day, but he came by night. Now you think about that, coming to Jesus by night, it's a somewhat shocking thing for Nicodemus to do. After all, Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus is a man of position. And he comes to a man who is a man of no status and a man of no position. Nicodemus is an aristocrat. And he comes to the man of the people, a commoner. He's a man of the university. He's a scholar. But he comes to a man with no diploma. He comes to a man with no degree. This man of position, this man of power, he comes to a man who, to our knowledge, has never even been inside a university. You see, Nicodemus was a man who had gone far already in life. And at this point, he was nearing his sunset, as we would say. His hair was no doubt white and Nicodemus was an elderly man, both in honor and both in years. But by night, Nicodemus comes to a young man. A man who's young enough to be his son. John writes this very arresting sentence in chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, the same came to Jesus the same came to Jesus. This man that's a ruler of the Jews, he comes to Jesus. Those few words right there, those few words speak volumes. Because they tell us the magnificent story of this ancient Pharisee. It gives us a spectacular insight into his character. And as we read about that, it intrigues us. To the point that we want to know even more. Because you see, this man who came to Jesus under those circumstances, he's no ordinary man. You see, the fact that Nicodemus, being a ruler of the Jews, being one of the leading lights, as we would say in the Jewish religion, the fact that Nicodemus would come to Jesus means that he's a man with an open mind. He's a man that's not going to allow his prejudices to blind his eyes to the truth. The others of his class, they had condemned Jesus without even giving Jesus a hearing. They had already made up their minds about Jesus and they didn't even care to believe that he was the Messiah. And not wanting to believe it, they refused to even hear it. 
much less believe it. Aren't we like that sometimes? Isn't it sometimes easy for us to close our minds to the truth that we don't care to accept? To close our eyes to the things that we don't really want to see? To stop our ears to the things that we don't want to hear? It's easy. And guess what? Folks, it's just as dangerous as it is easy. That man or that woman who refuses to hear the truth loses their capacity to know. There was an occasion in the early part of John's Gospel also of a gentleman who came to a man by the name of Nathaniel. Philip was the gentleman that came to Nathaniel. And Philip told Nathaniel, we sometimes refer to him as Bartholomew, but Philip told Nathaniel, he said, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets spoke of. We have found the one that was spoken of by Moses. We have found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And as you read the story, the contempt and the disdain almost leaps off the page at you from Nathaniel's voice as he says, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip didn't argue with him. Philip didn't say, well, let me set you straight, young man. Philip said to Nathaniel very simply, he said, well, come and see. Try it out. Come see for yourself. Well, to his credit, Nathaniel was a fair-minded man. He put the information that he'd gotten from Philip to the test. He found the information to be true. He found that even from despised Nazareth, there had come one who would be not only the Lord of his own life, but one who would be the Lord of heaven and who would be the Lord of earth. You know, the sad thing is, in our day and time, there's so many folks that have a prejudice against the church. And there's so many folks that have a prejudice against Christianity. To be sure, meet folks like that on a regular basis. Like so many, their prejudice is founded on something as unreasonable as that of Nathaniel was founded. You see, there's, there's some folks that are prejudiced because they've been offended by folks that represent Jesus. Some are prejudiced because they have suffered at the hands of so-called Christians. Others are prejudiced because they have bought into the propaganda that's been and misinformation that's been fed to them by ill-informed people. Instead of being blinded by the way folks have treated them, instead of being blinded by the misinformation and propaganda that folks have fed them, 
Folks need to just come and see for themselves. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus that night, it indicates to us that he's a man who's in earnest. He's a very serious man. There's nothing superfluous about this man. He's not a mere human bauble as we would look at it. Nicodemus is not a man that's going to be satisfied with the doctrine of eating and drinking and being merry. In our day and time, a lot of folks want to be a part of the church of what's happening now. Where we can have the magicians for the Master and the gymnasts for Jesus. And where you can have a song leader that's a whole lot more entertaining than Rodney Golan. And a preacher that tells a lot better and newer jokes than I do. But this is what you get. You see, there's too many fellas today that want to stand out in front of the cross. And rather than preaching Jesus, they want you to look to them. God help me, I'm never one of them. God help me that I'll always be willing to stand behind the blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ and proclaim a suffering Savior to a lost and dying world. And show the world the way to Jesus Christ. And not the way to me. Nicodemus was a man determined to find and know the truth. And follow it. And Nicodemus came to Jesus to find out what the truth is. Folks, genuine earnestness, seriousness is a most worthwhile virtue. It is that man or woman who's earnest and that man or woman who's serious that wins their way to God. To be flippant, lukewarm and half-hearted, that's to fail to reach any worthwhile goal. We think about Nicodemus and we often picture him as being cowardly. Because he came at night because he was afraid. But you know what? I find Nicodemus to be a man with a marvelous type of courage. And as I said, this is not something that's usually emphasized about this ruler of the Jews. Most often we put the op uh, absolute opposite concept forward. We often lambast him because of his timidity and his cowardice who comes at night. He comes under the cover of darkness, we say, he wanted to hide. Here's the important fact. 
The important fact is not whether Nicodemus came to Jesus by night or he came in the broad light of the noonday sun. The point is, and the important thing is, Nicodemus came to Jesus. That's what's the important thing. I'm also sure of something else. We can laugh at his cowardice. We can smile and scorn at him. But how many folks never have the courage to come to Jesus at all? Yes, Nicodemus came at night. And that showed a certain timidity on his part. I'll give you that. And I'm sure that because of his high position among the Jews, he was afraid. And probably every footstep he heard behind him on his way startled him. And made him wonder if he needed to run. He was afraid. Nicodemus, because of his position, he was horribly afraid. But he came. And don't forget that. There's two types of courage, folks. There are folks, and I've met them, folks that have never felt fear. They wouldn't recognize fear if they met it on the street this afternoon. They're simply strangers to it. They've never made its acquaintance. But there's another kind of courage. A courage that I find even more admirable. And that's the courage of the man that is by nature a coward. It's kind of like that old saying of John Wayne's, courage, that's being scared to death and saddling up anyway. That's the way Nicodemus was. He was afraid. He was by nature a coward. But he had the courage to go to Jesus Christ in spite of the fact that he was horribly afraid. You know what that tells me? It tells me there was a hungering in his heart. He was a religious man. But his religion had never completely satisfied him. Somehow, after almost a lifetime spent in the atmosphere of the holy city, he was troubled. He was weary. He was dissatisfied. And maybe he had in some way been dissatisfied and disappointed for many years. He had seen this young teacher, Jesus, on the streets of Jerusalem. He had heard some of the things he had said. He had heard some of the things that others had said about him. And I see Nicodemus that night with hope springing in his heart, making his way to Jesus. And I'll be honest with you. I can't help but feel a certain kinship with Nicodemus. I have hungers. And I have thirsts. That no earthly power can satisfy. I have needs that can't be met by any human soul. 
But those hungers and those thirsts and those needs, those can be met in Jesus Christ. And folks, they can't be met anywhere else. I want you, by an eye of faith and with some sanctified imagination, think what it might have been like that night. Here Nicodemus as he timidly knocked on the door. Hear the footsteps coming down the stone hallway to open that door. And the door opens, and there is Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, standing face to face with Jesus. Oh my! Can you imagine the many things in the heart and mind of that white-haired teacher of the Jews about that point? The questions he wants to ask of Jesus... The things He wants to say to Jesus. And He begins with the one thing He's sure of. He says, Master, we know You're a teacher come from God because no man can do the things You do unless God's with Him. You've read the story. Countless times you've read the story. Have you ever thought about Not just what Jesus said, but what Jesus did not say. He didn't look at him and say, Well, Nicodemus, I know the trouble with you. You're just not honest. He didn't say that. He didn't look at him, Nicodemus, you've got to quit swearing. He didn't do that. He didn't say, Nicodemus, and shake his finger. Nicodemus, you've got to quit breaking the Sabbath like I've seen you do before. Jesus didn't beat up on this teacher in Israel. Had He done that, Nicodemus would have probably turned on Him because He wasn't guilty of that. He was a clean man. He was an honest man. He was a moral man. So then what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? He said, You must be born again. He told him what was the matter. He told him what was wrong in his life. Nicodemus was trying to find peace and rest and joy and salvation. But he was trying to find all those things by doctoring the outside of his life. He was trying to find peace and joy and rest and salvation by doing things externally. Folks, that's like finding out the water in your well is poisonous and you're going to fix it by painting the well curb. Or it's like my car was last week. I found out something. Did you know a GMC Acadia does not have an alternator like I thought cars had? A GMC Acadia has an internal generator. And if it goes out, it's $1,145 to get it fixed. Now, just suppose that the service department had called me and said, Well, Mr. Perkins, we can't replace the generator. You see, the light came on. It says, Check Battery Charging System. And so suppose the service department at the car dealership had called me and said, Mr. Perkins, we can't replace that internal generator, but we did wash the car and polish the hood, and we hope that will take care of the problem. I would have probably called him a moron, among other things. 
Because that wouldn't have fixed it. They could wash that car and polish the hood from now till Jesus comes and your battery charging system's still going to be messed up. It was an internal problem with the engine. Nicodemus says, or Jesus says, Nicodemus, you've got to change the internals. Nicodemus, you've got to change your heart. Nicodemus, you've got to fix what's wrong inside. You've got to be born again. Jesus says, you've got to fix what's inside. That's first and that's fundamental. Jesus tells this pious, earnest, honest man one supreme universal necessity. He says, you must be born again. Now remember something. Jesus isn't saying that to an outcast. He's not saying that to someone that's wasted their substance in riotous living. Jesus is saying to one of the most decent, most cultured, most refined religious men of His day, to this man, this good man, this moral man, Jesus says, you must be born again. Can I ask you something? In our sophisticated age of the 21st century, Are we disposed to resent that message? To think it's no longer necessary? Do we find it old-fashioned and out of date? Jesus was telling Nicodemus that even though he was old, life could be made over for him. That through Jesus Christ, it's something that's available to everyone. Because that new birth has been experienced by the most depraved and abandoned of men who have ever lived on the top side of God's green earth. It's also been experienced by the most decent and moral who had never been obedient to Jesus. Remember something about Jesus. He places a great emphasis on obedience. On living his kind of life. As he brought that Sermon on the Mount to a close in Matthew 7, he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, who's going to get there, Lord? He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name we've done a lot of good things? He said, and then will I say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Why did He never know them? Because they were never obedient to Him. That new birth was experienced by no less than Saul of Tarsus. When Ananias the preacher came and said, Saul, why tarriest thou rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins? Calling on the name of the Lord. It was experienced by a nobleman from Ethiopia. It was experienced by Lydia and her household near the city of Philippi. And like we talked about last Lord's Day, it was experienced by a jailer and his family in Philippi. And I could go on and on and on and on and on down that list. But I can tell you one thing. After that night, Nicodemus was never the same. His life was forever altered. Nicodemus went on to become a follower of Jesus. For many days, he was still a timid follower. 
Yet, the time came, his colleagues condemned Jesus. And Nicodemus dared to speak in his defense. When Jesus died, Nicodemus came out in full and acknowledged his discipleship. Jesus finally succeeded in turning the coward into a hero. Just as Jesus remade Nicodemus, He can remake me and you. The question is, have we ever given Him the opportunity? Have you ever given Him the opportunity? Have you ever been born again from above? If you've not ever done that, if you've not ever given your life to Jesus, I beg you to do it before you leave this building this morning. Or maybe... Did you once upon a time submit to that new birth and turn your back on it and fail to live God's kind of life? And maybe the church has been insignificant, unimportant in your life and the flimsiest of excuses kept you from serving God. And I'd ask you and I'd beg you and I'd plead with you and the Lord would too to come back to Him this morning. Whatever the need of your life might be, if we can assist you in living God's kind of life, it's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.